Happy New Year to each of you out there, and welcome to episode 16 of the Brood Sages, Stormbound players with a head for the game. I am Freeloader, and with me as always are my co-hosts, Sabaiku and Arthas. Sabaiku, Happy New Year, and how's it going tonight? Fantastic. And Arthas, Happy New Year to you too, and how are you doing? I am doing very great, and Happy New Year to uh, everyone here. Well, we are the Brood Sages, and as a reminder, you can always contact us at Brood Sages on Twitter. Or for all of you who used to wear Ocean Pacific clothes, our email address is thebroodsages at gmail.com. So guys, new season, in fact, new year. Uh, how's it been so far? Well, new year, uh, we just got the uh, the new balance changes and stuff, which we'll get more into later. But uh, I've been having so much fun with the new changes, honestly. They're like pretty big ones, actually. Uh, and Sabaiku, how about you? Anything exciting going on? Yeah, I've been upgrading some cards, playing some new decks. Really, uh, this is the first time that I'm able to have more cards at level four and play competitively on ladder with some things that I thought were good ideas or things I saw my opponent doing that looked like fun. Uh, so I'm actually really thrilled with the way this year has started. Ooh, that's pretty exciting. Um, I have been uh, working with the Magi to perfect my uh, ironclad aggro it's it's definitely a, a different sort of style of play for me than than shadowfen aggro as odd as that sounds um but the deck is working out really well huge uh, thanks to him for his help and part of the reason why it's been a little funky figuring it out is because well linked golem started behaving a little differently a couple of days ago and that brings us into our balance changes um so how are they going uh Sabaiku, i'll go right back to you first and then we'll go to arthas uh, how do you think the balance changes are going? I got to say, I think that they are fantastic. Linked Golems, I have also used a little bit, uh, playing more of a controlish Mia True Shot Siege Assembly kind of deck. It's still very powerful. I'm still trying to find it. I'm still trying to set it up and play it every chance I get. I do not have any concerns with the power level. Um, I think I think it's working really well. I have not messed around with the chilled stone dames, but I've had it used against me actually to great success when no I'm playing way. that iron wow. deck. For real. Um, somebody else in the discord was playing with the new card and uh, definitely got me with it a couple of times just because he was able to, even if the first unit in the column was too strong, he was able to just chip it down and uh, knock out multiple units. And, you know, as I expected, if if it even gets one unit, it's worth it. Um, however, it's still not easy to set up, and I don't think it's going to end up being widely used because of that. Now, now you you say your your units were in a column. Does that mean that at the time you were playing some sort of Zuri swarm deck? No, this was with the ironclad uh, okay. with the ironclad deck trying to work off of linked golems fortification tonic upgrade point yeah upgrade point makes a lot of like those units uh fall into a column yep yep so <laughs> it, it was a it was a good counter to that kind of strategy uh but because of the difficulty setting it up like i said i don't think i don't think that you'll see it everywhere uh and the mana change is significant you know up from four to five mana we can't, you can't really discount that. Yeah. And Arthas, how about you? Any of the balance changes that uh, you are playing around with? Oh yeah. My favorite balance, well, my favorite balance changes were the uh, the dragon ones, uh, the one with Zuri and especially the Sunbeam Serpents. Uh, I've, I spent, what is it? Because I've been playing dragon decks for quite a while now. By quite a while, I mean like 
several weeks in a row because I I finally leveled up my dragons and uh, they're so much fun. And you guys already heard about like my Drago deck. Also have a video on YouTube for it. But uh, that one's going really well. But it's amazing because now I, I tried out Shadowfen Dragons for the first time. And uh, <laughs> my initial experience, my initial like nine hours of experience on it, I was like, oh my god, Shadowfen Dragons are still a freaking joke. They're absolute trash. <laughs> no. like, dude, it was Because, you know, I have ex- expectations for them because I've been playing Swarm Dragons and Ironclad Dragons, both of those being really, really strong. And uh, I was like playing it the same way with Shadowfen Dragons. It was just so different and so unreliable. <laughs> I was like so close to giving up. I was so frustrated. Even when I was like streaming, I was like, Oh man, why why am I like uh, putting myself through this? But listen, this is the best part. I actually uh, I figured it out. I learned how to uh, balance the deck, how to cycle the decks, and uh, I have some. I have a very viable. Uh, I call it a chunk beam deck. It's basically focused on uh, putting uh, putting down a lot of really powerful uh, sunbeam serpents, and that's with the spare dragonling. And the potion of growth, um, potion of growth also Ooh, being changed. Yeah, you think you know it started off as a meme deck, okay? Because you're like, wow, what are you doing? Shadow and dragons with potion of growth, right? And sunbeam serpents, but I'm actually getting some serious success with it. I also play it with Cordia because you know that's one of the best shadow and dragons. Oh yeah, it's it's working out so well, and I'm like so proud. I was so close to giving up, and uh, I've just been playing it every single times. Uh, basically since the update landed and i'm having so much fun i'm gonna be showcasing it on youtube too Ooh, i can't wait to see that all right pretty cool so um so we've seen we've had a chilled stone dames sighting that's pretty exciting all right and i assume both of you have played some of the zuri style vitality decks yes oh yeah so arthas was promoting that last month and you can see his youtube on that it still works just as well uh i took that and i kind of messed around with it a little bit and i went in a different direction a little more mid-rangey and took out the vindicators and put in bucks of wasteland Ooh, good choice. i wanted to double up on the buffing i figure look i'm making all these units on the board and trying to land a buff on them from surrey why not put something else that works in the same manner and it is just a ridiculous ridiculous amount of fun to play with uh, <laughs> you know when nothing moves playing defense is hard something you do have to worry about the dark harvest helps there for sure but it's um it's definitely a lot of fun to play and it might be the deck that i've been playing the most this month that sounds like a ton of fun for sure i've also been having so much fun with broken truce a lot of people are uh thinking it's really underwhelming because uh for some reason i don't know why they keep putting in Aaron decks like that's the first mistake don't put in Aaron decks no. horrible horrible idea <laughs> don't do that <laughs> um i put it in the uh the zuri deck that i use and it was actually the perfect like cherry on the cake on that deck because that deck struggles against like a really hard rush and like really large units yep broken truth solves both of those problems <laughs> and not like um um, you know, broken truce with now spreading the the spare damage. Um, it can wipe out some serious rush pushes. Um, when you when you target something really weak near them, it just blows everything up. And it's amazing because that Zuri deck also has like Doppelbox and Spare, both of them being very very uh weak in strength, only two mana. Comboing it with broken truce is like an insane toxic sacrifice. <laughs> it's amazing. So what about the um there there were also some quality of life improvements. Uh how are we liking the new scroll 
bar. Uh, it just makes it so much easier to flip through and get to where you're going. Uh, I would like maybe some sort of visual indicator other than just a page number because it's hard to know my landing in the four mana page, the five mana page. Um, but uh, that that's my only small complaint about it. I think it's working great. Uh, and, you know, there's a bunch of other little quality of life changes that we haven't even talked about. They've been slowly adding a bunch of animations, just like when you look at the tomes in the shop, you know, they, they gleam. They I know they look cool now. There's, there's a bunch of, uh, for lack of a better word, there's a bunch of polish now in the game that just makes it just visually a lot more appealing and makes it look a little more refined. And I like that quite a bit. Yeah, I have to say, um, I've been playing almost uh, exclusively on my phone over the holidays because, you know, family and stuff. I don't really have time to set up my laptop. But I set up my laptop uh, yesterday, I think, for the first time in a while. And the snow animation just on the home screen was so nice. And it's so silly for me to be so stoked about it. But at the same time, I opened it. I was like, whoa, (laughs) this is cool. Uh, I 100% agree that the uh, scroll bar at the bottom should tell you either your mana that you're on or the level if you're sorting by levels, uh, you know, so that you have some better indicator other than page number. Because I don't really memorize the page number that certain cards are on. Uh, That's just not me. Yeah, it makes it a bit annoying that uh, it doesn't render the page as you're scrolling. But I know that might be uh, a bit difficult to implement so uh, quickly based on the way the pages are programmed already. But um, uh, another complaint I have, and this isn't that big, but, you know, like everyone's, uh, we're talking about the scroll bar being very convenient, but uh, I really wish they had it when you're actually building a deck. That's when I need it, not when I'm looking through. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it would be really nice then for sure. It's like, all right, I'm building all this cheap stuff, and then I just need Cordia. Where's where? Oh, oh flip, 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 flip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's our lead-in for today. Uh, the next segment we're going to talk about is news, and there's actually quite a bit of news uh, for considering it's only been a couple of days in the new year. Uh, first and foremost, uh, ownership of the game has formally passed now from Paladin Studios to Sheepyard. Sheepyard now owns it 100%, purchased it from Paladin. Guys, uh, what do you think? Arthas, what do you think this impact's going to be? I think this is great because now they can really have full access to like every single resource or anything else that uh, involves the game and really take it into like the next level, right? And I mean, especially if they make such a big purchase as of like buying the rights to a game, right? Um, that that makes them really want to keep investing in the game. I mean, you do, you want to make sure uh, your investment is good, right? And so that's really good for us because they're really going to put way more effort into the game now because uh, this is a big investment they're making. And also it gives them a lot of power for like what kind of things and uh, like changes and features they could implement to the game. So I'm really excited what they do with this like new power. All right. And Sabaiku, what do you think? Yeah, I've got to agree with everything Arthur said. You know, it's now theirs. They can allocate more resources to it. Um, they can grow it in whichever way they want. Like, it's it's a whole new level of control uh, we've already talked about. We really like the balance changes, uh, the shop changes, just a lot more value than you used to get in a lot more events than you used to get. Um, you know, they've really been heavily 
involved in making these improvements to the game i'm happy to see that that now it's their baby and they can grow it in whichever way they think uh is reasonable because so far their judgment seems to have been pretty good yeah we we have no actual insight whatsoever as to the sort of the health of the game and the growth of the game right it just in, you know in general we we're outsiders nobody seems to really know aside from obviously people at sheepyard and paladin um my initial reaction to this was well the game's growing because if i have you know just just on paper if i have an agreement with sabaiku where i'm doing something i've taken over something that he used to do and we profit share my work if that is working out for everybody's benefit fine great we hold steady if it's not doing so well and i'm making less money every month maybe i cancel the agreement but the only time i look to actually buying it out from sabaiku is in a situation where it's getting bigger and better and i want more of it right like it 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 speaks to how in theory at least we don't know but in theory it speaks to how excited sheepyard is about the game about the future of it that they want to own it completely because they they see it skyrocketing and i'm very excited about that Sabaiku, you touched on something real quick that maybe we should have mentioned in the quality of life improvements, but um, as it is kind of news as well uh, for for January, we'll we'll discuss it right here. Uh, and that is that um, the promotions, the 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 economy of the game is changing. There are now new gifts that you get every day for just logging in. And if you want to pay up front for a premium experience for the game for the month, you can get super gifts. Now, I don't know about you, but I paid for it because they're fantastic. Uh, But what do you think about this? It's a great value. If you're looking to put some money into the game, I would definitely recommend doing it this way. Um, For me, I like that it's a nice all around little bit of everything. You get some cards, you get some coins, you get some rubies, you get some fusion stones, and it's not a staggering amount of any of those, but it's enough to help you grow your collection just a little bit faster. So um, I will, I will likely keep keep investing in it also as long as they keep running it and as long as I feel like I need the additional resources, which to be fair is kind of always. <laughs> Yeah, this game is now, as far as I'm concerned, baseline a $60 a year habit for me, because <laughs> I will do the same. Arthas, what do you think? Rookie numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely paid for the uh, the premium pass because it's it's so worth when you look at the, um, the overall rewards you get from it. Like uh, Stormbound Kitty uh, really summarizes it really well, like uh, comparing the, uh, the premium and uh, the free one. Like uh, just looking at the fusion stones, because those are the the big ones. Uh, uh, the free one is just seven fusion stones for an entire month. Uh, sure. I mean, pretty nice that it's free, right? But um, with a premium pass, uh, that's twenty one extra fusion stones. <laughs> and uh, I mean the pr- the price now for the for the premium pass is like much much cheaper than the one during the advent calendar. Yep, you do get less for it, but you get you get de- you get more than half of what it was last month it's even a better value than it was last month mm-hmm. i want to touch on something that you said there though arthas which is uh the free tier still gives you stuff it still gives you additional resources it's still nice that you can just log into the game that you're playing anyway and get some free stuff and feel like uh you are appreciated 
and not that you're forced to pay to unlock rewards. If you choose to pay, you get additional rewards, but you get lesser quantity, but all the same stuff. Yeah, of course. I don't want to give the wrong message that uh, this is like uh, underwhelming or anything. That is very far from true. But um, I'm just saying it's really, really tempting to actually invest in the game now <laughs> because of that. Yeah, there's just something really nice about getting to open up the game every day, which I want to do anyway, but being rewarded for doing so, right? Like there's there's just some sort of, hey, we recognize that this game needs me as much as it needs you kind of a thing, right? Because because the game at the end of the day requires people playing it for us to be able to queue into an opponent on ladder, right? So so there's just something just sort of mutually beneficial about all of us kind of celebrating. Hey, you opened up the game today. Thanks. We all kind of need you. Jump on ladder if you can. If you can't, that's cool. Just build up your library till you feel confident to do it. But uh, thanks for thanks for stopping by. Thanks for being part of this. I, I love it. It just. I don't know. It feels right to me. And and uh, I like that, that that's the direction they're taking it. Moving on from uh, the ownership uh, information and uh, our, our new sort of daily rewards, uh, the tournament's still going on, right? We thought it was going to end by the end of the year. No, that was group play that ended by the ah, end of the year. Gotcha. And how did that work out? Sabaiko, how'd you do in group play? Uh, I went undefeated in my group and i made it out of group play which was fantastic um it was a nice little bit of validation i had never been in a tournament before i had never really played equals for any period of time other than like a game or two so it was nice to do something different uh once i got out of group play and uh faced against one of the better players in Helios, uh, I promptly got completely destroyed and lost O2, and now I am eliminated. <laughs> uh, so that was a little bit of a reality check um, after feeling so good, so good in group play to get stomped so badly right afterward was a healthy experience for my ego. That's how I'll say it. But it was a lot of fun. And Arthas, how, uh, how's it going with you? Yeah, I was. I actually watched, I've spectated that match uh, between Sabaiku and Helios. Helios, by the way, one of the top equals players out there. So, uh, I mean, you still put up one heck of a fight. Those are long games, Sabaiku. He, Helios just uh, pulled off some serious outplays, though. <laughs> but um, for me... Um, the group stage was very like quiet. That's not the case for like most tournaments. Uh, it's not this bad, but this is just one of those times. Uh, easily, I, I got out of the group stage. Um, I had to fight also Dirk in the knockout stages in the top 16. And uh, Dirk, by the way, is like up there in the equals rankings, uh, either first or second place. But um, yeah, <laughs> I took one game from him, but uh, he, he, he took the rest of them from me. So uh, I also got eliminated. Very big sad for the Brood Sages uh, representatives. <laughs> Not our best show. <laughs> That's okay. We made it out of pool play that, and, and everybody had fun involved, right? Oh, yeah. Definitely very fun. Perfect. Uh, so that's still going on. We'll keep an eye on it. And uh, as soon as we uh, have more news to tell everybody about uh, the semifinals and finals, we will do so. Uh, the next thing, a, a new kind of, um, I don't know what you want to call it, a play style or just sort of a thing to do, uh, speed runs. Uh, Arthas, what is a Stormbound speed run? Yeah, so uh, the community is starting to find some kind of uh, excitement for speed running Stormbound. And people are probably wondering, like, well, how could you speed run Stormbound? Like, where does it start? Where does it end, right? Um, Reckless Rush, very good guy that we uh, interviewed 
couple episodes ago, I think. No, or, no, was it the previous one? It was, yeah, it was last oh, episode. Man. <laughs> I count the episodes by weeks. I know we skipped one. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. Reckless. He's uh. At first, he did an, an unofficial speed run to silver five. Um. He streamed this as well, so a lot of viewers were watching him and cheering him on. And uh, yeah, the mad lad actually got to silver five with a completely fresh account in just under two hours, like one or two minutes under two hours. That's pretty ridiculous, if you ask me. Um, further on from that, a uh, couple days ago, um, Reckless and Helios, they decided to speedrun with fresh accounts again, fresh new accounts, to go all the way uh, from starter to bronze five. And uh, that was quite a wild race, honestly. Both of them had very interesting uh, uh, plans to go about it. Reckless, uh, he decided to complete the... Well, I don't remember if complete, but he played a significant amount of the uh, the Swarm campaign to get his, you know, Reckless Rush cards. <laughs> but Helios, uh, he just went straight for it, I think. He went straight into the starter with, like, uh, the starter deck. And he had, like, Soul Crushers in it. And he got quite a significant lead. In the beginning with that because reckless was still doing the campaign and that was really really funny and reckless was like really uh, nervous <laughs> but then eventually like helio slowed down reckless kind of caught up uh reckless unfortunately kind of lost some connection for like six minutes or so kind of sad but uh at the end of it uh helios won the race to bronze five at one hour 28 minutes 49 seconds uh, Reckless came in second with just about 12 minutes after that. So it was pretty exciting to watch, but uh, it's really cool. I think Reckless is trying to make these uh, speedruns actually official in speedrun.com, I believe. Don't remember the full details, but uh, people are finding some appeal in this. Some people are want to want to try it out. Yeah, I, I think uh, sometime this year, I, and I haven't had the chance to talk to my fellow uh, brood sages about this yet, so I'm pitching it to you guys right now. Uh, what do you guys think about us doing a Brood Sages speed run for charity? Uh, Ooh, for so charity? Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, just uh, uh, try to do a speed run, like like a two hour kind of speed run, at some point this year, and uh, we try to get people to sponsor us to 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 be the the fastest uh, uh, sort of a thing for a charity. I don't know when we'd be able to do it, but I just feel like. Um, kind of one of the next things that would be great for the Brood Sages to do this year is maybe maybe try to do a fundraiser at some point for a charity. And the speed run just seems like the perfect way to do that. It just seems like a really fun and interactive and, and you know, our sponsors can come into Discord and cheer us on kind of a thing. It just seems like it'd be a real fun thing. I don't know how we'd, we'd be able to do it. We all have to do it simultaneously to really make it exciting. So we have to find like a, a Friday night or something where none of us are doing anything. <laughs> Well, how exciting is that going to be to watch when we're all just playing Shadowfen? <laughs> I'll actually be going Ironclad. Thank you very much. What? Trying to get that embers and then just poke. there you go, level one embers. I love it. <laughs> going for it. All right. Um, so with that, uh, it was a long uh, uh, opening, but there's a lot of news going on, so uh, pretty fun. Um, we wanted to dedicate some time today. Uh, for you listeners out there who have decided that part of your, uh, you know, new year, new you, uh, if your goals for 2021 include being better at Stormbound, uh, we want to continue our series in discussing um, sort of second level or even third level uh, uh, tactics and strategies to make you the best player possible. Um, now, this conversation was actually inspired by a game I had against Evil Deck, uh, believe it or not, yesterday. 
the game was weird because I was playing that very aggressive Ironclad deck I've been playing, and he was playing a Winter Pack deck, which at first I had no read on. But just my initial reaction was, well, Winter Pack normally outvalues uh, Ironclad, so I'm the beatdown, right? And we've talked about this before, guys, when we were talking about archetypes, is that in every matchup, there's usually a... Uh, a beatdown and a control deck. The, the, there's, you know, whether or not you're playing a control deck, uh, if you're not as aggressive as your opponent's deck is, you have to play a controlling style to try to win because you can't outrace the more aggressive deck. So I made the I- identification right away that I must be the beatdown in this because I'm the aggressive ironclad deck. Also, my deck tops out uh, with Windmakers at four. There's no way I can play defense. But... I opened with a hand, guys, that was literally unstable, hysteria, windmakers, and destructobots on going first. Uh, and so, or sorry, not destructobots, recruits. Uh, so I had to play recruits and nothing else into his opener, which was uh, two two drops. And it started snowballing from there because he got into the, uh, you know, that, that, that crazy. Uh, icicle burst Yavanna style turn and things were going really bad for me. I recognized early on because of those poor hands for me and great hands for him that I needed to play control for a little bit of time, right? And and this is kind of what made me, it popped in my head that, gosh, we should have a conversation about this because there are times where even though you're the aggro deck, maybe you're in a, a, a rush versus rush mirror or a control versus control mirror, Right. One of the two of you has to play aggressively. You can't both just sit back and try to control each other. And so identifying sometimes the moment that you have to play the wrong style for your deck in order to win is, I think, one of those next level keys to being a top level player. Uh, Sabaiku, we have saw a lot of this back in Hearthstone in mirror matches where you kind of uh, had to identify because which one of you went first, like in a tempo rogue matchup or something, right? It, there, there was indicators to tell you when you had to play the wrong style. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with your first indication, which is who goes first. Now, you do have extra mana when you go second. You start with four instead of three, and that might actually be an advantage for some decks. Uh, but in general, if you're playing a rush rush mirror whoever goes first is going to have an advantage and the second you alluded to earlier the draw of your hand if you just whiff on your draw and your opening hand is you know six five four four mana you don't even have anything you can play for three you can't take advantage of the opportunity that you have going first and you might need to stop and think okay i have to be more conservative i have to try to stave off their aggression and come back down the road rather than you know hit the gas and go hard right right out of the gates like i want to so arthas i got really lucky in my my game because on turn four five mana for me, I managed to clear his front and push him back. He had one unit near his baseline. Uh, And his response was to play a true shot tower. So there was this clear delineation indicator where he went for a a pure value turn, where suddenly I thought, aha, he's actually a control deck. I need to switch to being the beatdown again. Are there any other times that you can think of where you've been playing sort of defensively with a deck? And you're trying to make the determination of when do I stop playing defense 
can I can I afford to play defense any longer, or is it just time to hit the gas and go? I definitely find myself in a lot of those situations since I'm putting a lot of time into uh, learning mid-range decks. Uh, mid-range being the middle of the spectrum between rush and control. So um, sometimes I find myself uh, leaning towards rush or leaning towards control, uh, depending on the matchup. And it's really important to have that because, um, for example, um, with my Zuri deck, um, that one's a mo- mainly a mid-range deck. But um, let's say I go against a winter player who's playing like winter heal, like with uh, Ulf and Underground Spring. Um, that's not enough for me. Like that's really, really scary to deal with because my simple like Zuri type of uh, approach is not going to be enough to beat that kind of uh, base heal and the kind of value Winter has. So sometimes I actually really have to go on a full aggressive mode, like dodging their units, um, putting things on their baseline as often as possible trying to think about what kind of spells would counter me and uh it's it's a diff it's quite a change of pace but it really makes a difference in the games and this is how i win against matchups like that and similarly similarly if i go against like a rush someone with like really hard swarm rush i need to start playing more control to start blocking you blocking my second row um with something like edric or my doppelbox and then uh setting up for a next turn harvests which are usually not what you want to do with a deck like the Zuri deck. You want to be able to play a unit and then Dark Harvest. But sometimes when you, you're forced to play Control, you want to set up your units in a way where even if you only play Dark Harvest, it's enough to give you a lot of value. And um, that kind of like dynamic switching, I find really, really exciting because I know it adds an extra layer of depth into the game. And uh, it takes a while to learn to find that balance. Because uh, I know a lot of people like Rush, but um, it's hard for them to really like notice when to like switch to defense or something unless it's actually threatening the game. But it's actually a pretty big uh, uh, significance. Like like Freeloader mentioned, uh, he's playing an aggro deck, but then um, if he straight up only went aggro, pretty sure he would have lost. But he actually took the investment to play a bit more control, and uh, he managed to swing the tide that way. And pretty nice uh, adaption. And that's really the kind of things you find that are very, very hard to notice when you're playing against people or watching videos. But um, these are the kind of things we want to highlight in the depth of the Stormbound game and strategy. And this is what makes the game really, really exciting. It, it really does. I, I, and like I said, I got, I got lucky in mine because uh, there were clear delineations. And after seeing enough of the cards, I knew exactly what I was going up against. Uh, to Arthas's point, if I just pushed, if I went around the two units that he played up front and tried to go aggressive, he he did have frost hexers, he did have uh, 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 the, the the six mana free spell. Help me out here, real quick. Five mana moment piece. Moments piece. Thank you. I was going to get delayed, and I was going to give up a lot of damage to my face. Worse than that, once he set up the true shot tower, there was no way if I had to start playing defense, there was no way I was going to be able to win from that point, right? I had to clear first and then become the aggressor. Um, seeing that Giovanna turn, I knew that I was going to get outvalued late game. I had to win before that got there. Uh, the, there are times where you're playing in a matchup and it's not as obvious what your opponent is doing or even a situation where it's a a... a, a nearly identical matchup like like for example uh Sabaiku, i'll throw this out there uh if you're playing that zuri swarm deck and you play into a zuri swarm deck how do you make a determination on 
whether to try to be the aggressor or the beatdown? Like, how do you how do you play that in a way to give yourself the maximum advantage to win? Great question, because I had a match just yesterday or the day before against uh, a guy on the Discord, King Kron. But it was a fantastic game, and I went second, which I think is an advantage with the Zuri deck, because if you get your Zuri off first, you have just more on the board than they can deal with, and they feel like they have to play defense as opposed to ignore it and play their own Zuri. Uh, What really worked for me in that game was that I denied him good Zuri value I could see that he was trying to set up his units in a column. And uh, one change that I made, Arthas, that um, you don't have in your deck is I took out the Dreadful Keepers and put in Brothers in Arms. Ooh. Not uh, not leaning into the Dragon Synergy the same way, but just spawning more tokens. And I was able to actually block off the rest of the column with units that don't move. So he had nowhere to play Zuri, and that ended up actually just being the uh, the key that won the game, I think, because I could see what his strategy was. And admittedly, with Zuri, the positioning is uh, pretty telegraphing. <laughs> it's not subtle. It really is. <laughs> um, but I could see what he was trying to do, and I had the tool in my deck to stop it, and that let me play mine first. Now, all of a sudden... To your point, Freeloader, I realized, you know, if I'm playing mine first, that makes me the aggressor. So let's go. Let's get down these buffs. Let's put overwhelming strength on the board. And then if he tries to go around it, I can put something like bucks in the way. And now all of a sudden that's lethal pressure at his baseline. He has to respond to it. It's not always so clear cut in playing a deck that is flexible. I mean, that's one of the things that we've talked about with our Shadowfen Rush deck that that we like so much, right? Shadowfen has tools like Witches and Toxic Sacrifice that can be used offensively or defensively. If you get behind, you can play it. If you start poorly, you can play it in a, uh, such a way that you deal with the opponent's pressure and continue to advance your front and um, build your board. Playing decks that are flexible, I hate to go back to to deck building, but it's a, a really significant part of it. You know, recognize what the weaknesses are of the deck and then kind of realize, do I want to shore that up or do I want to just play into the strengths of the deck even harder and accept that there are some times I'm going to get behind and I just can't turn it around and win? You know, I'm not saying that there's a right or wrong answer there. It's just something that you have to think about when you're building the deck, you can't have a tool for every situation. There's only 12 slots. So make sure that you're thinking really hard about every single one and why you're putting it in there and what it's what it's designed to do. Okay, so whenever you're building a new deck or you're fixing your deck, I really suggest uh, doing what I call limit testing. Figuring out uh, when you find yourself in situations where it's a bit hard to choose how you want to go about things. Like, for example, uh, there's units on your um second row that are starting to pressure you uh, and it's hard to choose whether to defend or go completely aggro um what i call limit testing is go on the like the far ends of the spectrum and uh test it out see how far does it take you like uh, for example with me and my uh sunbeam deck that i've been making i did a lot of limit testing in terms of uh how well can this deck can really control and clear the board and uh, I really tried to uh, embrace the control side of the spectrum of the playstyle. 
and uh, seeing how strong it really puts me through. Uh, noticing that sometimes it does make you lose a decent amount of games, but it's not a full loss because you're getting a lot of information from them. Like with me, uh, I did. I realized that with my uh, Sunbeam deck, it was really hard to play some really good control. So after after I realized that and evaluated that, now in the next step of limit testing, let's go on the other side of the spectrum. Let's see how far Rush can go. And then when I did that with the same deck, no changes in cards, by the way, but just changing the way your playstyle is and the way uh, your priorities are set, it actually uh, shifts some of those blurry decision-making that you were used to seeing. And uh, it makes it clear what you want to do when you go to those like uh, ends of the spectrum. Um, and when you experiment to see what kind of like uh, value and what kind of success you find, uh, you realize which ends are more favorable for your deck. So I really suggest that you guys do this with all of your decks or all of your new cards that you're trying out. Um, do this kind of limit testing. Uh, do the different ways you can uh, play the card defensively, offensively, greedy or conservative. Try those different like perspectives and play styles and just see how far each of those take you. And then you'll realize which one's more favorable. All right, excellent. And uh, moving on from there, we're actually introducing a a, a new topic that we're going to try to do weekly. This is I'm actually very excited about it because I pitched this to Sabaiku when we got started with this, and he was less than enthusiastic. But now that we have Arthas, we outvoted him two to one. So <laughs> I demand a recount. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very slim margin of victory. It's true, it is. Uh, so our new topic every week, we're going to talk about a card in the game, uh, not necessarily one that's dominating, not necessarily one that doesn't exist in the meta. Just, just we're going to pick a card. Uh, and this week, guys, we're going to discuss Joust Champions. And to be fair, I was against this idea, so I picked what I could think of as maybe <laughs> one of the worst cards in the game. <laughs> but we're going with it because I thought it would be great. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Joust Champions are a two movement, so they're a runner. Eight mana, so it's a wonderfully expensive runner. Uh, and for that eight mana, you get uh, three, four, five, six, or seven, depending upon the level health. So an eight mana, seven to face. Uh, the one thing that Joust Champions has going for it is that uh, when it's about to attack a unit, it first does three, four, five, six, seven. So uh, it can do up to 14 damage to a unit. Up to 14 damage to a single unit. But if there are multiple units stacked together because it does move two, you can trigger that uh, three to seven damage before attacking multiple times. So in theory, you could get up to 21 points of damage out of your Joust Champions at level 5. So this one's a bit interesting, right? I mean, it's very, very expensive. But uh, to get the, its full value, you want to make you want to try your best to trigger it multiple times. Because uh, 8 mana, 14 value, like 14 strength is uh, kind of underwhelming for something that's 8 mana, right? I don't know. It's kind of weird because uh, it only has 7 HP at max level. You know, three at uh, level one. Uh, for something so expensive, you can't even use it as a heavy runner. Um, this is just as strong as something like uh, cat, uh, not cabin, uh, blue the, sail, uh, right? Blue sail, yeah, blue sail, or like the agents in charge. And agents even has like three speed. <laughs> so it's kind of weird that you can't really use it as a runner. It's more of like a clear, some kind of board clear thing. But you gotta hope the enemy uh, position their units. Or structures, it also triggers on structures, by the way, um, in a way that you can trigger it multiple times. I mean, for structures, I think Siege Breakers is just so much more 
reasonably priced, no? Oh, yeah, yeah not to mention... Seed Breaker doesn't work on units, right? So this has the flexibility, yeah. right? If you can make multiple attacks with it, if you can bait the enemy into positioning uh, or your enemy doesn't play around it because they never see the Joust Champions coming... <laughs> Who does? Then you can definitely <laughs> get a lot of value when you're using it to clear. Uh, but to to Arthas's point, it's it's ideally a defensive tool it's not something that you're playing really offensively because offensively it's pretty underwhelming for eight mana yeah but but i mean wouldn't twilight prowlers just be a more generally useful defensive tool in the same vein yeah there there are a lot of uh, different uh other choices that do some of its features and uh, strengths but just better like uh, this one seems to have a lot of like flexibility but not really good at any of them right. <laughs> so the card so... that comes to mind for me is siren of the seas which is nine mana oh, and has point. one additional movement mm-hmm. and it's but also a, a relatively low base strength for for nine mana definitely not what you would be expecting uh the difference is when Siren attacks into a unit, Siren just reduces the strength of the unit to three. It doesn't matter if it's a 10 or a 15 or a 300 strength unit, Siren will take care of it for you. And that kind of reliability makes it better than Joust Champions. The additional movement makes it better than Joust Champions. And the fact that it can't, that Siren does not do the same thing to a structure kind of just doesn't really matter. Also of interest, I believe Joust Champions would trigger uh, like Harry Chestnuts twice, would it not? It totally would. Yeah. And I don't think Siren does. I think Siren, when it, it, it acts like confinement, the, the, the reduce it to three just reduces it. It doesn't damage it. It shows up in game as a damage effect like it looks like the unit is taking damage down to three strength but it's not a it's not actually damage so it does not trigger elders oh gosh so imagine doing something like playing joust champions into a bucks <laughs> oh no oh no <laughs> oh gosh that would be terrible yeah, I I feel like this this card is just has been designed out of the game that that with elders and with the you know potentially I don't I don't know the order of operations in terms of some of these cards being introduced, but I feel like uh, the the felines came after Joust Champions right so that means the Twilight Prowlers came after uh, I don't know if Siren of the Seas came after but if it did gosh it seems like a a lot of new cards came out that just were were better versions of this now. You know, it's a unique effect, though, right? The only cards that I can think of that do damage before attacking are Joust Champions and Terrific Slayers, right? Well, there's also Windmakers. Windmakers is a push and deal damage, like Elon. So it's a little different. uh, What about the ones that attack everything around it when it attacks? You know, they do Windmakers. Yeah. Right. So so three night cards now, right? Between Joust Champions, Terrific Slayers, and Victors, they all do damage before attacking. Mm-hmm. Them and Vindicators then. Vindicators do chip damage before attacking. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Damage to the unit. Yep, yep. Yep. Right. Like Terrific Slayers does damage to a dragon specifically, but not to base. Joust Champions are more general, but again, not to base. Interestingly, victors of the melee will trigger when they attack the base, they will still attack surrounding units. The extra attack effect doesn't work on the base also. Wait, that's true? I did not know that. 
Yeah, it doesn't hit. Imagine if it did. <laughs> no, no, I knew it, I knew it didn't hit face with the AOE. I didn't realize that it actually triggered the AOE when it attacked face. Yep. So surrounding units will still be attacked. That's insane. Yeah, it's really funny. <laughs> it's like uh, okay, uh, that this this victor's in the melee. It's like one strength on my base. Okay, I can ignore it. Let me go uh, block the second row. Nope, it gets wiped. Yep. Oh, no. <laughs> Hopefully a mistake you only make once before you learn that interaction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Subaiku hit us with the troll pick, so we're going with it. Oh, so to, to, you, you were saying, Subaiku, that it's a unique effect. It's a unique effect to knights, right? Like, I like that. It's something that the other knights do. I dislike the fact that it's kind of poorer than other choices. I think it would be too strong if it did this to base also as it attacked base. I I mean, now you're talking about an eight mana, 14 point swing at, at level five that can run through a unit at the base at the baseline and still hit the base for a ton of damage. Yeah, that would be way sick. Ima- imagine there's a five health unit on the base. Uh, you're and playing. You just, you platinum. just go soul crushers right through it. Right, right. You're playing <laughs> it platinum. So now you've just reduced your opponent. You've removed the unit from the board and you've reduced your opponent to three life. Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> then your next turn, you just play level five uh, uh, overchargers. Game's over. Like that's terrible. I, I, yeah, I agree that it can't do it to face. Is there any other way that you could do something to it though? I have no idea. <laughs> Not gonna lie, but it's nice to uh, put it out there. The discard needs some uh needs some love. Love, yeah, yeah. Look, it's 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 2021, new year, new joust champions. Let's let's find a way. Maybe it needs to lose some pounds, hit the gym a few times. You know, whatever it is, a little bit of betterment this year, and and maybe we could see joust champions getting some love. This will be a challenge for our listeners. Uh, whoever can put together a video of them <laughs> using Joust Champions effectively in a game, <laughs> we'll give them a shout out for sure. With Zuri decks out there, this is becoming a possibility for non-Winter decks, because obviously with Winter decks, you're going to use Chilled Stone Dames. For non-Winter decks, Joust Champions might be your counter to all those Zuri decks you're seeing. Give it a shot. Let us know what happens. It's not terrible. Um, the one thing I would say is that we talk about Twilight Prowlers. Level five Twilight Prowlers is 15 strength. Sure. For six mana. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to get a common up to level five. Oh, yeah. It, it's probably going to be just as effective. Oh, easily. Easily just as effective. Uh, but less funny. <laughs> less oh. dominance asserted. <laughs> so All right, guys. Well, uh, that's going to end tonight's episode, which means it's time for me to remind you to please follow us on Twitter at BroodSages and email us at thebroodsages at gmail.com. For Arthas and Subaiku, I am Freeloader. We are the BroodSages reminding you to please stay hydrated.